Welcome back to the Para Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today it's my great honour to be joined by Irina Voskina. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly, Irina. Irina is a Ukraine-born para-athletics coach. She coaches in Australia and has coached at six Paralympic Games, having multiple medalists with a range of distances on the track and a range of impairments, including the likes of Heath Francis, Evan O'Hanlon, Scott Reardon and Chad Paris. Welcome to the podcast, Irina. Thank you very much, Liz. I'm straight away a little bit correct you because Tokyo it was my games number seven. Oh, how bad of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, man. it's already seven. It's oh. scary. It's quite scary. When I when I when I calculate in how many years, it just makes me think how old I am. <laughs> I, I don't think you're a day over thirty, so I didn't couldn't believe that there'd be seven games <laughs> under your belt. Seven. Seven games. Wow. It was uh, two games with the Ukrainian team when I was head coach, Ukrainian Paralympic team, and rest with Australian team. Wow. Atlanta was my first games, 1996. In 2000, Sydney 2000 was with Ukrainian. And since 2004, it is with Australian team. Quite a long time. So when did you actually move to Australia? I moved to Australia in January 2003. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and so yeah. can you give us a little bit of history about how you became a coach and particularly how you got into coaching Paralympic athletes? I have a, I have a joke all the time. When people ask me, I said, it's because I have disabled cat what I was, when I was a child, uh-huh. that I was looking <laughs> after my disabled cat. But it's, <laughs> maybe there is some some reason about this cat, but it be serious. It's happened in 1992 mm-hmm. when we have crush of Soviet Union. In 1991, in 1992, uh, like we started build our Paralympic movement in Ukraine, and mm-hmm. I'm very proud that I was first head coach for Ukrainian Paralympic team, like independent country. So in 1992, I was uh, lecturing at the sport university in my city, Dnipro, and we started formatting group for disabled athletes who can come and have education in our sport uni and who can be sport administrators uh, and coaches um, later on. Mm-hmm. And my head of department invited me and said, okay, you have neurophysiology degree. I had two masters, one in neurophysiology and another in coaching. Mm-hmm. And she said, you have um, like specific degree. Maybe you can help make like a course of lectures and tutorials. And we need to prepare how we can teach this disabled people mm-hmm were athletes and I started preparing like tutorial practical lessons and lectures and uh, it was a lot of research because it's no textbook yeah and there wouldn't have been much research at that point in time either yeah yeah and not a lot of now either (laughs) and um but these guys started asking me to coaching them and I said oh it's really hard because I really don't have time 
to do this because my husband Yuri was a coach, a swimming coach in our swimming, swimming de- department of our mm-hmm. university, and he le- was lecturing as well. And uh, my mom is coach, and I have a yeah, little daughter, and somebody need to look after child. Yes, <laughs> when other at the training session and the training camps, it was me. Simple, I am mom. Uh, I could not travel a lot because coaching job is expecting a lot of travel. Mm. But it was interesting for me. It became interesting for me uh, when I started teaching them. Can I coach? and make disabled athlete run a sable budget. Mm-hmm. Like, can I develop one side, like, for example, for CP athletes, can I, de- when they have hemiplegia, one side impaired, can I develop impaired side in a way how this healthy side operating, like running biomechanically. It's a lot mm-hmm. of interesting things came to me, and I wanted to implement it. And then in 1994, I had phone call from president of Ukrainian Paralympic Committee, who is still president of Ukrainian Paralympic Committee, Valery wow. Sushkevich, who is now in China with winter team. With the winter games, yeah. Very, very difficult time for Ukraine. Mm. And he called me and said, we would like invite you for our um, team to go coaching our athletes because I think we we try to qualify for Atlanta. That I it was crazy for me because we did not have any quota. We never were competing internationally as independent country. Mm. And I said, I don't know. Uh, I will I will try. It's how I started. Mm-hmm. And I, after Atlanta, I made a lot of decisions. It was something changed in my vision when I saw a lot of disabled people in one place and I did not see coaches, like professional mm-hmm. coaches who is usually coaching because I was coaching by my mom who is professional athletics coach who was one of the best in Soviet Union and I was added by myself and I was working with my mom part-time coaching mm-hmm. as well, help her. Her athletes were representing Ukraine and Soviet Union at that time. And when I came to Atlanta, I could not see any professional coaches who mm-hmm. is coaching uh, Paralympians. And I started thinking where, how we can change it and how we can improve it. And when I come back after Atlanta, I have offer from Paralympic Committee Ukraine and uh, they I was head coach already appointed for head coach for Atlanta for one trip yeah. but then they offer for me job full-time job be a head coach of Ukrainian Paralympic team plus because mm-hmm. we did not have enough coaches I was personal coach as well and how I started and I not regret even a minute second Half of a second <laughs> that I like, I said, I am in this world because it's just making me think absolutely different, like how I have to develop body different way, how I can develop muscles that have just one connection, like for example, above knee amputee, mm-hmm. when we have hamstring and quad connected to just upper joint, not to lower joint because we don't have knee joint how I can 
develop these muscles, what way, what exercises, what drills. And it just was making me better coach, mm. like generally better coach, even for able-bodied mm. better coach. Yeah, because it's it's such a yeah. I mean the the events that you coach are, are quite technical, correct? They're, can you just kind of run through the events that you coach predominantly? I am sprinting jump jumps coach. <laughs> I'm coaching sprinters who's running 100, 204 yep. and long jumpers and in my my life I was coaching one high jumper who <laughs> was Aaron Chetman. He uh-huh. has arm amputation and he was jumping world record to zero five with me mm-hmm. and won silver medal in Beijing Games and World Championship 2006 and so on. And mostly I'm coaching sprinters and long jumpers, yep. uh, but Aaron was one off. But I love it as well because mm-hmm. it's given me a lot of joy to coach in high jump. Yeah. But they they are quite technical, and they've got the you know other than the one hundred, they've got the bend to run. And so when there's a a difference from one side of the body to another, um, yeah. you have to make some adjustments, don't you, in terms of the way they might yeah. approach that turn. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, and what they can tell is that uh, lucky is that we can have a choice run one hundred or two hundred. Mm-hmm. And if we, for example, coaching amputee athletes, better to uh, for athletes who have amputation with right leg to run 200 because yep. left leg inside bend. It's yep. very hard to coordinate with the prosthetic leg if left leg amputated to mm-hmm. coordinate bend. And it can cause problems in lower back and, uh, and hip joint and uh, I never will do I never will do any damage for at this body and mm. I just will tell okay it will be hard because it's how it is let's run just 100 meters we mm-hmm. can do a little bit bent running for training session but not but not putting much a lot of pressure on yeah, not, 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 not put a lot of pressure on because no, yeah, no, not overstressing because they already have disability. Why we yeah. have to even make them more disabled? <laughs> it's what I'm fighting now with International Paralympic Committee to double above knee, have knee joints to run with knee joints that they could do normal biomechanical run movement with mm-hmm. flexing knee because they're now running around the track with. Uh, stiff knees and it's unnatural movement for mm. our uh, hip joint and it can damage this hip joint easy maybe they're young now and yeah. not have a big problem but later on life is longer than sport yeah yeah absolutely sport life is short yeah it's and, what we need and, to think about how they will live life after yeah absolutely do you find that you what if what if you had someone with CP who had a left side hemiplegia? So, do you feel that's an equal amount of pressure if they're running a two or a four hundred than someone who's a single leg amputee, for example? I, I I can tell you that no, it's different. We just need to make the side as strong as possible, mm-hmm. like 
when I'm coaching CP, what Evan Ahanlon, for example, he has left side impaired. Yeah. Uh, and we, when I were doing training session at the competition, I preparing for him exercises at the gym for left side separates. And like he, he has training session two times per week just mm -hmm. for left side. Right. I'm making him his left side as strong as possible. Yeah. Okay. As strong as possible. Yeah. And so what would a typical training week, I know that's hard to say because it depends on the time of the season, but say right now you're it's March, you've gone through the domestic season, you're not quite at the international season. Um, so what would a typical week's training look like for your athletes at the moment? So now we still have domestic season. Our nationals will be end of March. Mm -hmm. And I am not changing much my schedule, weekly schedule. I can change volume and intensity inside training session. Yeah. But not much weekly schedule. Because it's a competition. We have now hits in the morning and final in the evening. And mm -hmm. I think that sessions have to bowl, go in morning and in evening as well. That our biorhythm in our body was capable to do it. If we do big break with this, then it will be hard to come back. Therefore, I just changing volume and intensity inside session. And usually we have Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning and evening sessions. It is morning, it is track, and evening, it is gym. Mm -hmm. We have break between. And Tuesday, we have uh, gym, like additional exercises, some drills, some rehab exercises if needed. Everyone, they have own weaknesses, as you, as you know. Yep. And then we have pool sessions. It is uh, on Tuesday, Thursday, uh, they have Pilates session. And Saturday we have the same, like Tuesday, gym with uh, extra something exercises, not big, and then pool. Mm -hmm. So we're training like six days all yep. week, but with big, big day, it is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and easy day, it is Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, but it is small bit, bits as well. Uh, anyway. And how do you use the pool sessions? Are they a recovery session or are they kind of a, an unloading session so that you're not always loading up the lower limbs but they're still able to be used you know you might do a bit of a fitness work in the pool pool is very important for all i think athletes with disability because it is no gravity when we have disabled person running all the time vertical load it's quite big stress for body so yeah. I am adding volume at the pool. We're doing water running with pool belt with, a, with no gravity, but we continue keep a little bit more volume and it is for fitness very good. And we're doing mm -hmm. swimming as well, the stretching our body and part of recovery. So we're doing combined session, running session and swimming session that helping a lot to yeah. reduce vertical load at the, at the track. Yeah, brilliant. And... Do you change your coaching plan very much between the impairments? Like, so, for example, for an amputee versus someone with CP versus you, I know you've got some visually impaired athletes and, and other types of impairments. 
how much do you change the training? Is it more that you look at the technique very specifically and work on those individualities as opposed to the load of the training? Yes, I have individual approach to mm. every my athlete. It's very limited time when they're training together. Yeah. I have stagger. I have 30 minutes, like, for example, Scott ready to go by 10, Evan yeah. by 10.30, James by 11. So I have 30 minutes between everyone when they have technical session because programs are different, yeah. because disability is different and events is different. And I have the 30 minutes that I could pay attention for each one. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when they have start session, for example, sprint session, we can do it together because we need some competition at the training session mm -hmm. when yep. they can do start together. But when I'm working on starts technically, uh, I'm doing a separate. Mm -hmm. Which means you have a very, very busy day. There's not um, much downtime for arena, is there? Do you know this? Like I said, I, I love my job. Like Evan, Evan, said, Evan said me, coach, your job is your hobby. You're a lucky person. Mm. So yes. it is right. And it was very hard for me, tiring, and I just could say, okay, boys, I'm doing break. I'm not coming on Tuesday. You mm -hmm. will be at the gym with Sebastian, another coach that I'm mentoring. Because it's very easy session, and you can do it without me. Sebastian will look after you, and that's all. When I feel that I'm running down, yeah. So you look yeah, after yourself uh, well but, as well. Yeah, I, I'm looking. I'm looking after myself. I'm, I'm staying at the gym after they finish session to do some small session for myself, mm -hmm. like maybe for thirty minutes and trying walk a lot and yeah. running in the morning on my cross trainer at home. Yes, uh, sometimes I'm tired, but I, I know when I have to have break, yeah. when I need it, and yeah. I take in this break. Not, uh -huh. not long. I never had long holidays. My holidays mm -hmm. maximum five days. And my athletes' holidays not bigger than two weeks yeah. because it's hard to come back if we have long holidays yeah hard very yeah. hard and you know it doesn't mean they're in full training the entire time it's just keeping that technique and and just the movement patterns ticking over keeping that yeah that yes muscle, and that muscle i will memory. give you ex yeah i will give you example like on friday now instead of do morning and evening session because we don't have world championships this year it was cancelled <laughs> I made decision to change a little bit Friday and do track and gym back to back. So we ah, finished track yep, yep. and we will go to the gym. And I did it for for reason because if my guys would like to go maybe for weekend to the coast, they can leave on Friday after training session. Yeah. And have the because whole weekend. back to back and we finish to 2 p.m. And Saturday, they can do easy jog and stretch and some sand running on the mm -hmm. beach. And yeah. it can give them a little bit break from track, from gym. And I can do it now. Therefore, I'm doing it. Yeah. Great. And 
Obviously, you're a very hands-on coach, as you've already described. I remember you and Yuri, your husband, loved to come up to the cooking sessions that we ran for the athletes when I worked mm-hmm. with your program. And you loved seeing what they produced, but in particular, Yuri was a very harsh critic when it came to taste testing. <laughs> How important it is, is it to you that your athletes eat well? Uh, it's extremely important. Because when I came to Australia, a little, I was a little bit shocked mm-hmm. how athletes eating at the training camp. So when I was head coach in, in Ukraine, when I was organizing camp, I was organizing camp with catering. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to che- chef and making menu for whole week, what we will eat every day. Mm-hmm that it was every good nutrition food. And I, I took this responsibility because I knew athletes need to eat very well for recovery. Mm-hmm. But when I came to Australia for training camp, it's not catering, no, it's not organized. I was shocked. For me, it's a <laughs> shock, first shock in, 2000, in 2003. It's, yeah. No, it was 2004 before Athens. It was when we went to warm weather camp to Gold Coast and we were living in apartments where we have kitchen and mm-hmm. all athletes have to cook for themselves. And it's for me, it was a little bit strange and crazy. And I was watching what they cooking. They could not cook. Mm-hmm. It was not, it was all the time spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> Uh, every single night, and it's uh, never was fish or like piece of meat. It, it's nothing. Yeah. And I was shocked, and I said, "Okay, I need to teach them cook." Mm-hmm. Therefore, I organized cooking lessons with you, and I said, "Before we go to the camp, you have to cook perfectly three meals because we have a roaster." Mm. One cooking for all today, another one tomorrow, another one day after tomorrow. Yep. Mm-hmm. We have two people responsible for dinner. <laughs> one buying everything, making recipes, cooking, and another one helping to clean. Yep. It was every day. We, I have five athletes for five days, and they did it. Five days, one day was my day, it's number mm-hmm. six. I was involved in this. And day number seven, we had eaten out. Mm-hmm. So we covered whole week. And when I was going for training camp, I was going minimum for three weeks. Yep. Yeah. Minimum so they, you weeks. wanted to make sure they weren't eating the same thing every day for three weeks <laughs> and that they shared the responsibility. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They were already prepared. Three dishes. One week, yep. one dish. Another week, another dish. It's everyone. Like mm-hmm. I have five athletes and they have 15 dishes. I don't know that there's three many athletes who could one, claim to have dishes, that many. Three dishes, another. Yep. So one cooking once a week. So this, this week, for example, everyone, like it became a competition list. <laughs> everyone was competing who is better because they're athletes. Everyone wanted to be better, best cook of all of them. Scotty was claiming as well. And, and, and others just step up, step up, step up, because they did not want to be last. And, um, <laughs> it's not a competition, yeah. Irene. Yes, and, 
<laughs> yeah, but it was. It was a competition <laughs> who is best cook. And, uh, and they, one week, Evan cook like fish, another like chicken, another beef, mm-hmm. and the same other boys. They, they were writing dishes that they're going to cook because they have to do it with you. Three dishes. Yep. And we started preparing to the training camp way, way in advance. Yep. Oh, those days yeah. were, were pretty good. So no wonder Yuri was such a, a harsh critic. He knew it was going to be a competition. <laughs> yes, because Yuri used to make cook. <laughs> and he's try compare boys with me that I was telling him all the time, don't do it. Please don't do it. <laughs> when, when my guys were cooking, I also time telling, oh, it's so tasty, so nice. It maybe was not so tasty and nice. But I also time try encourage them that it was not bad. And it was. And I said, okay, you learning how to cook with Liz, and then you have to cook this dish at home as well because you have to have practice. Yeah, like everything needs a bit of practice. Yeah. 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 I'd certainly Liz, eat. The, go at, the go day's at. over. Over. The day's <laughs> over. Because they're adult now. They know yeah. better than me. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, going back to when you first started coaching and you said, you know, there wasn't a lot of specific education for coaches out at that point in time. Do you think that's improved? Do you think there's enough education now for coaches that is specific to para-athletes? I don't think so. We don't have any, like, if be honest, People who think that they know, they don't. Because it's no special education. I don't know, maybe we have somewhere, but not here in Australia. And I was doing everything trial and error, trial Mm -hmm. and error. And I have some tricks that I'm using for my current athletes, but I have to change it anyway. And tweak it anyway because you never have the same athlete the, twice. The same disabilities. Yeah, we don't have because even even in the same class, even this hemiplegia, we don't have the same. For example, is this from my previous athletes like Evan O'Hanlon, hemiplegia left side minimum T thirty eight, and I was coaching Katrina Webb in the same class disability, mm-hmm. but Katrina's hand and arm was better but her leg was worse mm. that it's maybe good for life because she can do everything with her arms yep. but Evan hand he can't he can't take coins from table yep he can't do anything with his left hand but his leg is better than mm. good for sport yeah so it's two different things I have to pay attention on different things because it's involved a lot of uh, coordination uh, difference Mm -hmm. and so do you think from the from supporting a coach who's up and coming do you think that's more just putting them with an experienced para coach who can pass on some of their knowledge and help them problem solve rather than actually coming up with education programs it's have to be both yeah Mm -hmm. It's have to be education programs and it is have to be practical because yeah. education, I don't, I don't know education programs that can teach uh, you drills that I made for CP athletes, for example. Yeah. 
every coach needs to have knowledge of anatomy, physiology, uh, psychology. We don't have it. Biomechanics, we don't have it in Australia. Mm -hmm. It's not exist. It's have yeah. courses, coaching courses. But in this case, uh, we need to put this coach with coach like myself and I will mentoring and teach why I'm doing this, why I'm doing that. But basic knowledge of human body need to be anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's much the same with nutrition. I, I get a lot of people who say, oh, you know, it'd be useful to have more information about how you work with para-athletes. And I'm like, well, a lot of that just comes from learning on the job and problem solving and having a good mentor who can just point you in the right direction as to a few things that you can think about to to apply the knowledge that you have towards that particular athlete as they present to you. Yeah, and this, it's more complex with para-athletes yep. because most of them have underlying conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because some of them, for example, had plasters when they were a little baby, biotox, and because they were in plaster, they did not move a lot. Mm -hmm. So they developed some kidney problem or lungs problem. It is some yep. underlying conditions that uh, we need to know. Yep. Yep. How, Absolutely. How to deal with this. Yeah. yeah. I like to ask my guests to give us some recommendations that they'd have for for up-and-coming athletes or athletes who are interested in getting into para-sport. So any specific recommendations you'd have for athletes? They, first, they need to make decisions what they would like to do. If they would like to just be involved in sport, that's because sport is a great tool to be healthy, mm -hmm. it's a great place to be. If they would like to be high-performance athletes, they need to be very realistic what is take to be high-performance athlete. Mm -hmm. And high-performance athlete, it is lifestyle. It is a lot of strict rules. And performance is not happening in one day or mm -hmm. even one year. It has to be patient to wait when it's happening. But they need to be very dedicated to this. Mm -hmm. And same with coaches. Yeah, it's the same with coaches. Mm -hmm. The same with coaches. Yeah. What about when I went to Atlanta to my first games, my mm -hmm. athletes did not win medals. But mm. when I went to Sydney they did. Yeah. Four years time. Yeah. How long do you think it this is a question that's probably impossible to answer, but how long or how long do you think it takes for, for someone to really develop that capability of really getting absolutely everything out of themselves that they possibly could with their genetic makeup? It uh, depends from a lot of qualities, like first, age, yep. how old are they, are they? Because when I was started coaching Evan, he already was uh, 16 years old. Mm. And he had, like, we have expression, we can have biological passport and we can have age, biological age yep. and passport age. <laughs> In biological age, you can be look like 12, but in your passport age, you're already 17. Yep. It's, there is kids like this. So these kids taking longer time to develop themselves. Like yeah. when Evan came, his uh, passport age was 16, and his biological age was 16. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and I really knew what he is capable for. But when I started coaching Ari Gesini, he his uh, passport age was 13, but our biological age with everything developing was 11 because mm -hmm. he's very tall, he was very skinny, and uh, I have to apply for him absolutely different rules. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's a lot of factors playing how long it will take. And then we have natural potential. Some When people ask me, what is talent for you, Irina? I said, talent for me, talented athlete for me, it is athlete who can training 24 hours per day and not break. Yeah. Or athlete who can sit on the couch, watch TV, then stand up, go to the track and run world record. It is a talent. <laughs> but yeah. other is just potential. Somebody have more potential, somebody have less potential. And it, it is reality. It is life. And we need to understand. Athletes need to understand Coach need to understand, and what is important for coach to not give false hope for athlete. If yeah. athlete does not have a, a lot of potential to be really good athlete, it's better to identify it earlier mm -hmm. and tell reality. Yeah, that doesn't mean they can't be the best athlete that they can be and work hard. It just means yeah, that you have to change their expectation in terms of where that takes them. <laughs> Yes, and they need to make decision. Does they yep. do they want to work hard, yep. or just would like to have have fun, enjoy, come to training session to just uh, be with people there and enjoy this place? Yeah, and and just being outside and and active. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you have any specific recommendations for practitioners? So sports dietitians, physiotherapists, sports psychologists who are working with para-athletes. Any, any specific recommendations for them? I don't have recommendations because I was working with really good people all the time. One thing that really hard for me was when we changing. <laughs> because... Yeah, because we have physio working and then suddenly this physio leaving somewhere and we have to adapt to another physio. We did this adaptation, it was handover, but it's it's not easy. Yeah. And but most not easy with psychologists. Mm -hmm. It's just area that I'm struggling a lot because psychology it's very delicate area. And yeah. when athletes open to psychologists and then the psychologist leaving and we need to find another one, mm. it's this openness taking a lo long time. Yeah. It's one thing that I'm struggling with psychologists. So do you think it's important then for someone who's coming new into a program to spend some time with you as a coach and, and with the athletes even before they start, say, doing their thing? being a psychologist or being a, a dietitian or whatever, that they actually just get to know you and the, the athletes on a more personal level? Do you think that helps? I think it helps. I think it can help when we're at the training camp. Yep. Maybe if uh, practitioners come for not three weeks that we're at the camp, but maybe for 
week or mm-hmm. even three, four days. It can help that see athletes in day by day life and have like conversation and sitting in the same table and could hear what they're talking about and learn about them. I yeah. think it can help. Yep, absolutely. Agree. Even cook a meal and see and be prepared to be shouted down because it's a competition. Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fantastic well Irina I I really appreciate your time I know you're a busy lady and I know that there's a lot going on especially with what's happening in the Ukraine and and I want to be sensitive to your time I like to finish my podcast by asking my guests what their favorite food is so Irina what's your favorite food oh my god do I have favorite food Mm. I like borscht Ah, now you're going to have to explain that because some of the some of the listeners borscht, may not be familiar borscht, with borscht. Borscht, borscht is beetroot. It's be, it's not like beetroot soup. It's a lot of um, like it's beetroot, uh, carrot. Everyone in Ukraine, every woman cooking borscht different way. Yeah, I am cooking borscht with a lot. I, I like just vegetables in a borscht. Or sometimes I put meat in the borscht. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I put pork. It's pork stock and then vegetables. It is beetroot, carrot, potato, cabbage, capsicum. I put sometimes I put uh, mushrooms. It's how I feel. Mm-hmm. So, and then I make like tomato sauce and put inside tomato sauce with onion. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I like borscht. And I'm cooking borscht different way. Depending yeah, on how you vegetarian, feel. Sometimes vegetarian, sometimes it's meat. It can depend how I feel. Yeah. Sometimes vegetarian, sometimes it's pork, sometimes it's uh, chicken. I like mm. borscht. Borscht is my favorite food. Do you usually serve yeah. it cold? <laughs> no, hot. Hot? Okay. It's Perfect. usually hot. Yeah. yeah. It's so, usually, so it's a beetroot it's based with, with whatever you, whatever extra things you like to put in it. Yeah. yeah. Like cabbage, beetroot and carrot. Yep. And potato is core. Yep. And okay. then I can put add something else. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I hope that one day I get to taste your borscht. Yeah. Hope so. <laughs> well, thank you, Irina. I thank really you. appreciate your thoughts. Your experience is, I think, incredible. I don't know that there were too many people, too many coaches, as you say, back in the early 90s who were professional Paralympic coaches. It just wasn't really heard of in most countries and certainly wasn't well-funded. And I know it's improved since then. It's still got a long way to go, but you're an amazing example of the resilience and the robustness that you built in yourself and also in your athletes. And we really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Liz, and you're welcome to my place for Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> Irina is a very holistic coach. She works her athletes as hard as she works herself, but also makes sure that they have a good balance and she's always looking out for their longer-term interests in terms of making sure that they can still be functional people when they get older and not overstressing the components of their bodies that may cause problems in the long term. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you'd like to leave any 
messages or feedback or suggestions on people you'd like to listen to, please do so. And I hope you join us next time when we talk all things SIT Volleyball with Bill Hammeter and Michelle Goodall, Team USA Coaches.